Welcome back to the Most Accurate Podcast here at Bolton Four Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle. Joined today, Brendan Life, man who is still working around the clock as final cutdowns come in ahead of the biggest draft weekend of the entire year, none other than John Paulson. John, are you surviving? I'm surviving. This is the weird confluence of week one and the end of draft season, and it's just you're trying to keep multiple sets of rankings updated. But, you know... If this is the worst thing I could comp- complain about with my job, then it's okay. Everything's okay. Very, very Tony Romo of you. And of course, joining us on the show, the guest of honor, Yahoo Zone, the great friend in life as well, Andy Barron. So I just saw last night for our own Chicago Superflex League. Uh, it is a it is a pleasure to be here. There are actually there are some guys that um, I was going to talk about today if I'd landed them in last night's draft and a, a couple, I did not. So I feel like I, I, you know, I, I don't know if you're going to end up discussing them, John, but like, I feel like you won the honor of talking about certain players because I didn't, I didn't reach far enough. I didn't reach, uh, aggressively enough. One of those sicko leagues, by the way, Paulson, that is super flex, oh, three, three wide receivers and two flex. So literally our job is to find living bodies. Like we just need players out there <laughs> who are going to be on the field. Like I'll be starting Alan Lazard. And I know a lot of people are in those kind of leagues where you're just trying to find bodies. So it's always fun to talk about. And Jonathan Taylor went in the eighth round of that type of league last night. And that's where I want to begin because a lot of people with drafts coming up have to know we're to gauge his value now that he's guaranteed to be on the pup list and miss the first four games of the season and we don't know beyond that. We're working with a very wild timeline right now since he apparently won't put pen to paper due to his grievances with Jim Irsay and the Colts organization. So, Paulson, going into, let's start with 12-team leagues. How are you adjusting for where Jonathan Taylor should be drafted? Because I've seen him go last night in the high-stakes $2,000 leagues. He got drafted mid-seventh. Yeah, and before I get into that, I just would like to acknowledge that Andy Barons is like one of the nicest fantasy analysts in the industry. He was like the first analyst that I met in person at FSWA at that time or whatever it was back in Vegas. T. And it was it's a T. always FSTA. FSTA. Uh, you're the you're the president of FSWA, right? Or you were? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, uh, it's it's he's a great guy. I always love having him on the podcast. And now this is the second time we're doing the My Guys episode with him. So I think it's become an annual thing. So I just wanted to get that out. We we went through the pleasantries really quickly. I just want to, every time Andy's on, I got to acknowledge that. He made me feel so comfortable at that conference and really appreciate it. Great guy. Uh, Jonathan Taylor. So I this news broke. <laughs> oh, this news broke. Another great guy. This news broke yesterday. I was like, what? And I think a lot of the industry was like, what uh, is going on here? He's not traded. He's being put on pup. Is he injured? Is he not injured? He is obviously disgruntled with his contract. Uh, now the Packers were so- apparently involved in a you know a trade possibility with him, but the Colts are asking so much, apparently asking for Jalen Waddell from uh, the Dolphins, just not going to happen. So uh, I don't know how this ends. I basically cranked his expected games down to eight and a half, just expecting him to play half a season. That's putting him at like RB30. Uh, he's going to be a do not draft pretty much unless he starts to fall into the seventh, eighth round. And you're, you know, you start looking at, at him after the, you know, Alvin Kamara's are off the board, the Khalil Herbert's are off the board, guys that can actually help you for the first half of the season. And, you know, talking to Connor Allen yesterday, my one of my co-managers uh, uh, for our uh, FFPC team, we were just discussing, like, what, when, we, when would we draft him? And I think in a big tournament like that, like the main event, he has more value because he might be able to help you in a championship round and you might be able to get him a later. Uh, but I think in a regular 12-team, 10-team redraft league, there's just – I would just rather give this, this headache to somebody else and, uh, you know, maybe it – works out for them but uh you know more power to them if it does but i don't want it on my on my roster and that's the problem andy is that he's not going to hit waivers right like he's not in that dire of a situation but it is very dire so where are you pulling the trigger at yeah it's uh i i think you were smart to frame this in terms of you know what would you do in like a 12 team league because if i'm in you know the 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 sort of league that most fantasy players are actually in maybe not your audience but most fantasy players actually play as like a 
is like a workplace eight or 10 team league, you can do no wrong there, right? You can take them wherever because um, replacement value in the league is so high. You're still going to be able to fill running back. It's fine. So you can be a little bit more aggressive there and think about, think about, you know, sort of a long range. Where is he? And, and is he fully healthy in like November, December? And it's fine. Um, it, it, like you're in, you're in a league, like we were drafting last night where it's many flexes, many spots to fill 12 teams, 14 teams beyond that. Um, he's, I'm, I'm pretty with John. Like you have to, I, th- I think eight games is kind of the right assumption here because we also like, it's not the fact that he's definitely out for four games does not mean that we're getting 13 games this year, right? Like there's still. There's still some ambiguity about like, is he hurt? Is he not hurt? Um, what happens after those four games if he hasn't been moved? Um, so I, I would not assume you're getting a dozen, you're getting like a dozen games, 13 games, something like that. Eight feels right. And then you have to go from there. Um, I've got him, you know, because we have to assign him a fixed rank, I've got him like RB 26, something like that right now. But I, I can tell you that he's going to be one of those guys again. Um, I'm, I'm with Paulson on this, like his name's going to be up next in queue and I'm probably going to veer to another position because it's not a headache that I want in a league where, you know, I can't, I can't just find, you know, really good starters on the waiver wire each week. Um, I, I do agree that in like a larger contest, something like that, maybe you pull the trigger because you're really only thinking upside all the time and you're thinking end of season. Um, but I, I don't know. For me, I'm probably not comfortable until like, I don't know, round nine. Um, I'll never get him in round nine because somebody's going to be more aggressive than that. And the high stakes league I mentioned was thousands of teams, a million dollar up top, that top heavy payout you talked about. It's also the fact that I would be more concerned about missing on him if he were to get traded, but it really doesn't seem like that's going to happen since the offers for Mersey are just unreachable. They're, they're just not palatable for another organization. And so if that's the case, and we're even talking about him coming back after this four game absence and playing the rest of the year, you then have to mix in the red flags that happen. Uh, still playing with a rookie quarterback, still playing with a rookie mobile quarterback. And then what is this offense going to be? Probably lots of RPOs, given Shane Steichen ran a top two rate of RPOs the last two years with Philadelphia. But there are also reports that Steichen's been pulling from collegiate and high school playbooks since he has a raw Superman under center. And then, of course, Jonathan Taylor. So we don't know. It could go back to like the SMU days of just bringing back the, uh, what's the word? Uh, Fish, what's the word I'm looking for, Barons? As a wishbone, wishbone, wishbone. wishbone. Yeah, it could be something like that. Like we don't know what this offense is going to be, but I bet it does not involve Jonathan Taylor having high target equity. So I don't know what his ceiling is this year. And so you combine all of that into a pot and say maybe this guy is honestly in that type of format like a ninth round player, and that just still seems wild to say out loud. Yeah, it's um. It is it is absolutely crazy to be talking that way because he was, you know, not that long ago. He was plausibly a first half of the first round sort of player. Um, I, I do think you're right to to also speak to some of the headwinds that he was facing even in a normal year. Um because of the Richardson situation, right? Like, and I'm we're we're so far past that because there have been so many other news and notes on the on the Jonathan Taylor player page. Um you know, uh, over the last month or so, but there was a time when we were raising reasonable concerns over, you know, does this, does this sort of change the, the touchdown projection for Jonathan Taylor? Because obviously that's going to be like Anthony Richardson is going to be a huge part of the goal line offense, right? Like that was, that was already a concern. Um, how many receptions could we reasonably expect for, for Taylor and in this environment? So there were already some concerns here. And, and now on top of it, again, you have to just, you have to project roughly half a season and then I don't know, is he, is he happy when he comes back? Where is he when he comes back? Um, sometimes uncertainty can be like a good thing. You're right. He could get traded to a, to a rich environment and then, and then we're kicking ourselves because we don't have him. Um, but that that's just not, you know, again, especially in a league where I've got to, I've got to carry the guy for like, you know, a month, two months before I get anything out of it. Um, I, that, that's just not something I'm generally open to. And I, I would just add that I just wanted to add one thing. Uh, he's a free agent, twenty twenty four. So we better brush up on our contract tolling language and all this. Look at the CBA and figure this all out because, you know, looking at the reported trade requests, 
it does not appear that they're going to you know drop quickly enough to actually facilitate a trade unless the Colts just decide they want to be rid of him. Um, but I think the most likely outcome here is he's going to report at some point just to get his year of service in so that he can be a free agent next year. Two more quick things before we get out of here and move on to our favorite players because this is a key factor happening in drafts right now that everyone needs to discuss. Paulson, what names are you putting Taylor around now? For instance, Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson are leading off the ninth round in 12-team leagues. Do you have Taylor in that range? Yeah, he's at RB30, so he's behind Pacheco, uh, Javante Williams. He's just ahead of... Uh, AJ Dillon. I have DeAndre Swift down there because I'm not sure what's going on with this Philly backfield. Uh, I, this might even be a little too high. I just basically projected him for half a season, and this is where he landed. Uh, Brian Robinson, Dalvin Cook are down there as well. And then Andy, everyone has an opportunity to take a last round shot on a guy. Last night in our Superflex League, I took Evan Hole. Hole, of course, a 93rd percentile athlete who had a 97th percentile target share in college. My kind of players I want to take just shots on, 17.3% at Northwestern, where your daughter's running at. And Zach Moss, of course, battling this hand injury that makes him questionable, doubtful for week one. So we think we have a path here for either Deion Jackson, Evan Hole, or maybe Kareem Hunt who, remember, ditched his own workout with New Orleans just to fly to Indianapolis to work out for them. I'm assuming because they dangled some kind of contract offer in front of him if he passed his workout. He still does not have a contract, though, as we speak. So what are the shots you're taking in the last round for everyone? Yeah, I think, um, like I think Hall obviously was a good play and he's probably the most interesting, uh, player that is currently in the building for that team, but the, the messy thing there and uh, Hey, you're taking a, you're taking a final round shot on him. So it's no big deal. If you end up dropping Evan Hall, it's totally fine. Um, but I, but I do think Kareem Hunt seems like, I mean, there's still a little bit of musical chairs going on, right? We just had a bunch of players cut. We've still got Fournette and Hunt lurking out there. Um, so somebody's going to land in Indianapolis and then it's going to, it's going to probably bring an abrupt end to the, to the Evan Hall frenzy. But right now he's, you know, of course he's one of the most added players in Yahoo. So is Hunt, by the way, like just uh, speculatively. Um, and they, and they should be like, those are the two guys that I would be, that I would be focused on. I'm not, I don't know. I just feel like I've, I've, I've done the Zach Moss thing before. I know what it looks like. And, um, I don't, I don't need to sign up for that again. It's, it's a little, you know, if we're just sort of wishing on on someone who could who could actually break out it's probably not moss it's it's more likely hall anytime you can get 20 carries or 42 yards on your roster you gotta do it (laughs) all right paulson i'll allow you to lead off we are each going to go one player we are definitely drafting at every position beginning with quarterbacks all right well i don't think this is going to be any surprise uh I, i i like the late round quarterback approach this year with geno smith uh, for some reason, he's the QB 16 off the board. He was QB six last year. Uh, he was actually QB five uh, in leagues where you get 20 points or one point for every 20 yards passing or six point uh, pass touchdowns. So if you're in one of those leagues, you want to prioritize him a little bit earlier. 4,200 plus yards, 30 touchdowns. He's a sneaky runner, 30, 366 yards rushing and a touchdown. Led the league in completion percentage. Ninth in passing grade at PFF. Tenth in passing grade under pressure at PFF. Uh, fourth and highest adjusted completion rate on deep passes at PFF. So I think everybody's worried. Uh, you know, he was not uh, a great rookie. He did not have a good early start to his career. So they think this is maybe just a flash in the pa- in the pan. And Derek Klassen of Reception Perceptions doing all the uh, quarterback profiles over there, the excellent profiles. He said, "Quote: Smith's revival won't be a flash in the pa- in the pan. Uh, they have a great duo and, and Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and they added the top." consensus rookie wide receiver in the draft who's a little dinged up right now but should be back looks like he'll be back in september i just don't understand this qb 16 uh, adp i don't think it's a hot take andy but i also take gino over daniel jones uh you know we, we've talked about it all offseason how add Tua, dak kurt jared goff to that mix too they're all the same player so it's like the same tier but i do have a lot more confidence in gino smith's outlook since we are basically taking Noah Fant's targets away and giving them to Jackson freaking Smith and Jigba uh, over Daniel Jones, but both good options. 
Yeah, um, Gino's a really good name for this list, obviously, and he was he was under consideration for me. I I went to I went to like my own portfolio. Do you want my guy? Do you want my guy right now, or do you want random uh, thoughts? Unless on, you on would Gino? like to have a soliloquy on Gino, it's up to you. <laughs> well, I just like hat tip to to the to the Gino call um, because again, like in Yahoo leagues, he was a QB five last year, and it's rare that you see this kind of separation. I will also say about Gino that like if anybody thinks that last year was just like a hot streak or something like that, man, he, he didn't miss very many games. I mean, he was like, he was just good. Like he was an eye test guy last year, like aggressive downfield throws that worked. Like he was just great last year, start to finish. His, and there wasn't, his throw to there wasn't Tyler anything Lockett, that felt particularly. His yeah, throw to Tyler Lockett against the saints was, Ugh. I think the best throw in the entire NFL season. Well, PJ Walker may have something to say about that. Yeah. To DJ Moore, but that double, that double coverage of Tyler Lockett was the best throw of the year. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Brilliant. And that like, he was doing that basically all year. That wasn't, it's not like his, his season was, was really buoyed by like, you know, two or three spike weeks or anything like that. He just passed the eye test all the time. Um, my guy here based on just my own fantasy portfolio, um, it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. I, he is, he is for me, I think the one guy who has a pretty clear chance to finish top three at the position who you don't actually need to take like rounds three rounds four round five, where I'm, where I'm not always totally happy to take a quarterback. Um, doesn't always happen. Sometimes he goes pretty high in a draft. Sometimes there's somebody else who's super bullish on him. Um, but whenever I can see him fall to like round six, round seven, I'm super interested and I've gotten Lawrence. Obviously he gets the massive addition in Calvin Ridley this year. Um, Ridley, not yet really past his expiration date at all. He already has wide receiver one credentials and fantasy. He's looked pretty good this summer. Um, the receiving core at worst is really good. It's possibly great. Um, this is a team that has, you know, I always like these teams that have just year to year continuity, except they've made a couple of obvious upgrades. And that's, that's basically what we have with the Jacksonville offense. So I don't think it's very difficult to imagine like a 4,800 yard passing season, perhaps a 5,000 yard passing season from Lawrence. And then there's my favorite thing about him, which, and I, I don't, I don't know that this will be unlocked. It probably won't, but Trevor Lawrence definitely has untapped rushing upside. Um, probably the team isn't going to let him do it because why are we going to, why are we going to risk 80 or 90 hits on Trevor Lawrence? I totally get it. Um, I'll just say that some of Trevor Lawrence's best moments as a collegiate quarterback were, were actually on the ground. We're in the run game. Um, he, he has been terrific in the NFL on the rare occasions when the Jaguars are like, nothing is working in the passing game or we're in a monsoon, like the jets game last year and they let him run and he's great. Like he's really good at this. Um, so if they did allow him to run the ball 70, 80 times, which again, probably not happening, he would definitely give us 450 yards in like five or six touchdowns. Cause it is, it is very much in his skill set, And it's sort it's sort of that one thing where if it actually happened, now we're talking about a plausible QB one. And Paulson, Andy mentioned untapped rushing side. I actually want to add untapped passing ceiling as well because he was only 20th and his rate of targets 20 yards downfield last year and now we get calvin ridley who the last time we saw him short sample with the falcons led the league in targets 20 yards downfield so we think we have someone who can separate we also saw that the preseason on a handful of throws including that amazing back shoulder fade that he turned around and fell down into the end zone with along the sidelines so i think we have more rushing upside and more passing upside to get there with lawrence this year yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if Calvin Ridley is the Calvin Ridley that we knew a few years ago because uh, he was an excellent separator, excellent route runner, and he could sort of have the impact that A.J. Brown or uh, Stefan Diggs had on their quarterbacks when he when, the, when those players joined uh, those teams. And he's the eighth guy going typically in drafts, and he's the last of the eight that everybody kind of deems as, you know, surefire like i think we all have almost all of us have the same eight quarterbacks ranked one through eight just to make you know you might mix them up a little bit so uh you know i did I, I think we did have evan silva on and he said that deshaun watson was ahead of trevor lawrence and i almost did a spit take if i would have had any coffee in my mouth i might have done a spit take <laughs> all due respect to, to evan uh i i agree i mean there's untapped potential in both and you know he he ran for 291 and five touchdowns last year so he already has a good uh, rushing floor, uh, especially around the goal line to get those five touchdowns. So uh, 
I do have him in a couple leagues, and I, I did get him in, a, in the big dog over at uh, Underdog because he slipped a little bit past ADP, and he has a tendency to, uh, if you have five or six uh, managers in your league that are wanting to go late round quarterback, uh, and and all of a sudden the Trevor Lawrence is you know falling around past ADP, I think it's a great time to pounce. You mentioned Deshaun Watson, and that's where we're going for my pick because I have him in the same <laughs> tier as Trevor Lawrence. And I get Watson a lot because I consider tiers flat, right? That's why we draft from tiers is because they're trying to draft in the bottom of them and get to get the best value and not be the one to make a mistake when we consider players all the same in that tier. And obviously, for recency bias, Deshaun Watson is being left behind a lot of different quarterbacks when, again, I consider him just neck and neck with Trevor Lawrence. Coming from a, a poker and DFS background, there are just so many situations where I say, keep following the process, hold your nose. Uh, eventually, the results will be EB and they just come with time. And so I look and I see career averages with the Texans, 8.3 yards per attempt to last year with the Browns for Watson, six and a half yards per attempt. A uh, career 5.9% touchdown rate. And then with the Browns, a career low 4.1% touchdown rate. And also, the first time in his career, Watson averaged less than 20 fantasy points per game, 14.3. Just extreme differences that I say, this obviously can't happen again. He wasn't, he can't be that bad again. Browns also increased their pass play rate from three wide sets to top 10 rate, 76% when Watson got under center compared to 16th league average whenever Jacoby Brissett was their quarterback. So overall, I'm still targeting Deshaun Watson in Superflex leagues in the third, fourth round in the same tier as Lawrence. And then in one quarterback leagues, you will usually see Tua, Dak, Kirk Cousins go ahead of him. And I think that's insanity. So I will... I guess put my name on Deshaun Watson for better or worse and still hope he gets cut in week two. Any thoughts on Watson, Andy? <laughs> he's um, he's the last guy on the list that I that I could really make a case for finishing as the overall QB one, right? So like that's the that I think is the real justification there. Like I, I think it's more likely with Lawrence, but but there's a there's a separation between those two in terms of ADP. It's a little, I don't, you know, I mean, we we play fantasy to have fun, and we should like our team, so it's a little icky um, to to look at Watson on a roster. Um, but I, there's just no question that the last time we saw him, like the last time we saw this guy coming off of a of a normal off season, you know, it, 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 we're, we're only a couple of years removed from him, like leading the league in passing yards and leading the league in a whole bunch of stuff that we really, really care about. He's not, he's not old. Um, he's, you know, he's, he's traveled the weird road over the last couple of years, but there's no, there's no age concern here. The team around him is really fun. Obviously you've got, you know, Nick Chubb, a player with incredible gravity who, who, who shifts things a little bit. Um, and, and then you've got a pretty good receiving core there. We, we know that we have, you know, I, I talked about the the possibility of some of some untapped rushing up the upside with uh, with Trevor Lawrence. I, I mean, we know it's going to be there with Deshaun Watson, right? Like he'd already settled into 450, 500 yards a year, five touchdowns, something like that. So you can just you can just put that in the bank. Um, so yeah, I think I think he is. You know, most of us have him like somewhere in the QB eight to QB ten range. I think he's the last guy on the list who could actually be the number one overall. With six carries per game last year in those starts, I have never been more confident in a player I hope fails. Paulson, let's begin <laughs> with you at running back. Yeah, I just mentioned that I have uh, Watson at QB 15, so I'm extremely low on him. Uh, I'm, I'm just kind of scrolling through the reports. I did see a uh, a negative report about just how the, the passing but it was a while ago, so maybe he's he's starting to get back into the swing of things. He does, definitely does have top five percent potential. I'll grant you that. Uh, to my my guy for uh, running back again, this probably won't surprise anyone. I'm going to go with Aaron Jones, and this is not a homer pick. I often am pessimistic about the Packers and their prospects, but I'm I, I don't understand his ADP either. Just like I don't understand uh, Geno Smith's ADP. Uh, he's creeped up a little bit because we've had some attrition at the position. Um, Brees Hall has fallen uh, out of the top 12 or 15, but uh, he's uh, RB 15 off the board right now. He finished RB 9 in each of the last two seasons, 28 years old. Off offense was mediocre last year, so it wasn't like Aaron Rodgers was you know, leading this amazing offense and, and Aaron Jones was the RB 9 from that. He was, they were, they were kind of mediocre. Uh, Rogers was ineffective, uh, inefficient, and uh, Jones finished RB nine. He still delivered top ten numbers. 
I think the offense will be a little bit more run heavy this year. I think he'll be the centerpiece of it. He's a threat for 70 catches. He was seventh in yards after contact per attempt, 15th in broken tackles at per attempt, third in PFF rushing grade. And over the last two seasons, he has the fifth most receptions, the sixth most receiving yards, and the second most receiving touchdowns at his position. Uh, I just think he's a rock solid pick. He's been going in the fourth, fifth round uh, as you know, people are going wide receiver heavy at the start of drafts. I'd be happy with him as my RB one if I if I went uh, wide receiver heavy to start. Thoughts on the Packers backfield, Andy? Yeah, listen, I I think I think John nailed this, and I have I I had a list of a couple of different candidates that I could talk about at running back, and Aaron Jones is one of them. I th- I think his ADP is kind of wild, um, because he never finishes this low, right? <laughs> like you're getting you're getting him at a cost where he just in a healthy season he's going to beat it. Um, we know it because he's he's done it repeatedly over multiple years. He's he's the exact sort of player who should just be the best friend for a young quarterback who's uh, who's trying to establish himself. I mean, I. Like, and and John nails it too. Like it, it wouldn't be the least bit surprising if Aaron Jones catches 65 balls this year. He's a brilliant receiver. Um, still, you know, maybe it's the back edge of his prime, but he's still in his prime. I, I, I think his ADP is absolutely crazy. I think he's a screaming value. The Packers at least have funneled a top 10 rate of targets to their backfield in three of the last four years. So that's been pretty consistent under Matt LaFleur. Um, also the Packers have the easiest projected passing schedule. So certainly something else that helps out Aaron Jones. What about your running back, Andy? Yeah, my, the, the running back I'll go with here. And there's a, there's a couple guys that I've really been collecting and I'm, I'm going to go with Damian Pierce and he's, he's got some recent, you know, helium in the ADP. So I don't know, I don't know where he's going to settle. Like when we're actually, when, when everybody's drafting leagues, like over Labor Day and stuff like that. But I, I still feel where he's going now, um, he can he can really smash and just be a just be a filthy steal. Um, he obviously people people know some of the under under the hood numbers on Damian Pierce, right? But I'll I'll go through a few of them. Like he missed the final four games of his rookie season, still finished fourth among all backs in missed tackles on on his rush attempts. He was just I just thought he was a thrilling runner to watch. Um, and I I will also say that I have like I have a weakness for this style. Um, and maybe it's, maybe it's the fact that I was brought up on like Walter Payton or whatever, but like, I love these guys who want to end every run with extreme violence. Um, you know, I was a Marion Barber guy back in the day and Pierce has got a lot of that. Like he, I love these guys who just look for somebody to hit at the end of a run. Um, obviously like there's a lot of new stuff in Houston. Um, much of it is promising but we should probably not expect everything to, to fit together perfectly. Um, at least not immediately, but man, I, I think this running game can be really good right away. Um, he was a, you know, Pierce again, despite all those missed games, he was something like 12th in terms of yards after contact last year, again, right up there on the missed tackle leaderboard. Super fun to watch. It's not the traditional missed tackle too, by the way. I, I, you know, he's, he's not, he's not giving us like the Josh Jacobs missed tackle where he just seems to, um, you know, teleport himself someplace else on the field. Like these, these Pierce missed tackles are like, he drags a guy for five yards or he's, you know, he's stiff arming a guy like six yards down the field. But man, um, that style is so fun. I don't, I don't know if it's going to have a long lifespan, but it's really fun to watch right now. So I think that you know, the thing I was talking about with Trevor Lawrence, where there's like a skill that I think he can unlock that thing with Damian Pierce is obviously going to be, you know, can you be any sort of volume receiver? And he's, he's probably not going to be a 60 catch guy, anything like that. If we can get Damian Pierce to like 45 receptions, I'm feeling really good. Um, it is, it is dangerous to take like small preseason samples and try to extrapolate them over a full season. I'm not going to totally do that, but I do think it's notable that Pierce has rarely come off the field during the CJ Stroud snaps um, throughout the preseason. Again, I don't, I don't think we can, I don't think we can say that that's going to carry over entirely into the, into the regular season. We're clearly going to see other backs on the field, but man, we get Damian Pierce out there for some third down work for some passing down work and we can just get him to 40, 45 catches he's got a pretty clear chance to finish as like a top eight fantasy running back. To put numbers to that preseason context, Paulson, seven possessions for CJ Stroud and Pierce played 83% of snaps as essentially in every down back. Yeah. I moved him up from the twenties, low twenties up to about 13 and a half PPR. 
in the last two weeks or so uh, ahead of some guy. But we, we've also had some attrition at the position, as I mentioned, but that was one reason for him moving up. But I, I wrote him up for on, on Twitter on my big thread. He was fourth in yards after contact per attempt, second in broken tackles per attempt, according to Stathead, 12th in PFF rushing grade. And I was concerned heading in with this Devin Singletary signing because Devin Singletary has been pretty good. And there was some concern that, you know, he would eat into Pierce's workload either on early downs or third downs. But as we mentioned, the snaps in the preseason have been super encouraging and we might see him as a three down back. And if we do, he's definitely has RB one type upside. I also question your usage of threads. Uh, I think you're supposed to start a new thread and you keep on adding to the same one. It's like, it's like we told a caveman to write a thread and then you keep on adding notes. <laughs> I've been I've been specifically asked by our thread master, Connor Allen, <laughs> to add one post per day to this thread, and I'm doing exactly as instructed. And you're not frustrated <laughs> about it at all. You can no, I've it. got, hey, look, the, fir the first uh, tweet on it has 181,000 uh, impressions, so I'm just going to let those numbers speak for themselves, John. All right. Uh, please, please send me my impressions check whenever it comes in. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> uh, I will stick with Tony Pollard as I've been harping on all off season because he should be a first, second round turn player. And even in 12 team, one quarterback leagues, for whatever reason, he's not. I think what's happening is Derek Henry and Saquon Barkley are acting as blockers for Tony Pollard's ADP. And that's great because Tony Pollard should be drafted over those players in the back of the first round. First of all, he's already reached his ADP. He was already the RB9 in points per game on only 13.7 touches per game alongside Zeke last year. And when you consider efficiency and usage, top five in every season in the league since 2019 and yards after contact per attempt. Three starts Pollard has made without Zeke in his career. And he averaged at least 21 PPR points in those three starts for an RB1, RB7, and RB3 finish. So now we don't have Zeke. And we think those 13 and a half touches per game are going to increase dramatically with only Deuce Vaughn and Rico Dowdle behind him. Tony Pollard, honestly, honestly can finish as the RB1 overall ahead of Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler. So he's a player that just everyone needs to get higher on and just keep on hammering in the second round since everyone else is letting him fall there, Andy. Yeah, I, I love this call in part because, um, you, you know, Pollard finished as like the RB8, RB9 last year. He, he barely saw red zone work like <laughs> like Zeke Zeke had all the red zone touches I, I think Pollard had like 25 26 something like that Zeke was over 40 um like he, he doesn't even need to collect all of that work from Zeke like if his if his workload goes up I don't know 30 carries 30 uh, 35 and a lot of it are like are the most valuable carries in the game um he he's just absolutely going to crush he's a clear candidate to finish as the rb1 this is this is a really good call yeah i would add rb i have him at rb7 i think i exclude week 18 and all my rb whatever's uh finishes just because week 18's weird but he was rb7 last year and that was with zeke in the lineup rb9 on a per game basis fourth highest run grade uh, ninth highest receiving grade at PFF, and he was first in yards after contact per attempt, 15th in broken tackles per rush attempt. I don't know if you mentioned that, John. I was letting the dog out there uh, for a moment and might have missed your, your spiel, but Tony Pollard is a great, great early second round pick. I think he deserves to go in the, in the late first round. I think, you know, if you're people complain about this 110, 111, 112 pick, but, you know, if you want to go run back, running back heavy, you can grab a Nick Chubb and, and Tony Pollard at the turn, and you're, you're set in your backfield. Before we move on to your wide receiver, Paulson, just a reminder to everyone listening, promo code YouTube for 25% off at 444 football. It's already too cheap. It's already a increment amount of money for all season, not just monthly. And the promo code YouTube will get you a quarter, 25% of that off for Paulson's guys and fades, my guys and fades, not to mention projections and rankings every single week and the first waiver wire column that drops for better or worse, on Tuesday morning that I need to get to immediately. So YouTube promo code 25% off at 44.com slash plans. Paulson, your receiver. Yeah, I was debating here between Tyler Lockett and Deontay Johnson, but we've talked about Tyler Lockett, I think, on every podcast for like six straight <laughs> podcasts. So I want to... You can still hammer I'll, it home for everyone just I, to no, draft him. Make sure they do. I'm, just draft him, but also draft uh, Deontay Johnson, uh, phenomenal route runner. 
Uh, success rate versus man over at reception perception has been top seven in each of the last three seasons. He had the best open score at uh, ESPN 538, according to their advanced metrics. He had zero touchdown catches last year and 147 targets, which is really mind-boggling. And the stat that I pulled on that was since the 2010 season, the 50 other receivers who have seen 142 to 152 targets in a single season have averaged 7.26 touchdowns per season. That's the same number you would get if he had just maintained uh, his career 4.9% touchdown rate. He would have caught 7.2 touchdowns. So he's being drafted. I don't know. It's ADP, like wide receiver 32. Maybe it's creeped up a little bit as we've all been piling the table for him. But he just gets open at will. And I'm starting to buy this, you know, Kenny Pickett might be decent train. Like I'm starting to get on it. Like he might double his passing touchdowns this year from 12 to 24 or something like that. And if, if, that, if that happens, I think he, he with, with Deontay Johnson having a whole season now to get on the same page, you know, his yards per attempt to George Pickens were a lot better than his yards per attempt to Deontay Johnson. And that shouldn't really be that way, given how well Johnson gets open. So I'm, I'm expecting some regression uh, for, for Johnson in a, in a positive manner. And I think uh, he'll, he'll score some touchdowns this year and have, you know, another 140 plus target season. Johnson is also pretty easy to get, Andy, because in a lot of interfaces, you have to scroll down. Like his default ADP is like wide receiver 35. <laughs> and so people will feel uncomfortable drafting him as the wide receiver 22 to 24. But in my opinion, that's where he should be going. Yeah. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. On talent, um, you, you mentioned two guys. Lockett is definitely one of them. Like Lockett and Johnson are are certainly top 20 separators, right? Like Johnson is an absolute immediate separator. Really fun to watch. Um, I mean, just a really weird scene in Pittsburgh last year, right? Like a, a pretty unimaginative offense with a with a rookie quarterback finding his way. There's no way it's exactly like that again. Um, uh, it is a shocking, you know, absence of touchdowns on that number of targets. And there's just, again, there's no way that happens with a, with a healthy Deontay Johnson. I agree with you. He should be, he should be certainly a top 25 fantasy receiver. He's, he's a little bit higher than that at Yahoo. I want to say if, if only because Harmon and I um, have ranked him a little bit more aggressively. More memories are made when you're there for live NFL action. And when you need tickets, Ticketmaster's got you covered. As the official marketplace of the NFL, Ticketmaster gives you more ways to find your perfect seat. Their interactive seat map gives you 360-degree previews of your section to make sure you have the best views of those pivotal plays. And if your plans change, Ticketmaster gives you more flexibility to sell or transfer your tickets. Plus, mobile tickets make getting in on game day a breeze. You can even customize your Ticketmaster app to rep your team's colors. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com slash NFL. We are betting on Deontay Johnson, Pat Fryermuth, and Kenny Pickett as a sleeper in two quarterback Superflex leagues since Pittsburgh's 43% rate of passing touchdowns last year was the fifth lowest mark of the last decade. And the four offenses that registered a 43% rate or lower prior to them all averaged an increase of 22.5% the following year. So we just think for historical regression that, yes, naturally, Pittsburgh's passing touchdowns will come up. And everyone wins if that's the case. I'll he's take a, it away from here. I just wanted to mention he's pick 53 at Yahoo, uh, pick 67 in our multi-site ADP. So it sort of depends on the site. But he's now wide receiver 28 uh, after you know a couple of weeks since that thread was originally posted. Since the impressions cinched everyone <laughs> packing to his ADP. Uh, okay, so Deontay Johnson, Tyler Lockett, we are already giving the examples of, for instance, I like not to pick fights with both of you, but I like Aaron Jones, Damian Pierce individually. I like Cam Akers individually, but I don't ever see myself in drafts coming away from them because of these wide receivers we're mentioning, because I think they have league-winning ceilings as opposed to running backs we're trying to squeeze into the top five when we question their pass-catching opportunity. And Christian Watson, I'm adding to that list of another reason why I just never veer from the process because I want these guys instead. Like Christian Watson last year, we saw eight starts from week 10 on, that primetime Sunday night game against the Cowboys. He had three touchdowns and ended lives with Aaron Rodgers, and they took down Dallas. But – I thought because of the way he finished the year, he was going to be going around where he should be. 
around DK Metcalf and Debo Samuel. But he goes four to six rounds later, and I don't know why. It doesn't make sense. Maybe the ambiguity from Jordan Love and the passing offense. But overall, in his range in the fifth to seventh round, that's when we should be taking players who break fantasy football, who literally win your league. And in the four games from week 10 on that he scored a touchdown, Christian Watson averaged 22.7 fantasy points. He literally broke the game and single-handedly beat all your league mates. And that's the kind of player I want in that range. So I will always reach for and go after Christian Watson around wide receiver 20. Also, remember, in that last eight-game stretch, they gave him four carries for 61 yards and a touchdown. They were also trying to find new concerted ways to use him. So he reminds me a lot of uh, less target Amon Ross St. Brown and that, okay, you're our best player. We're going to get you the ball however we can. And then he gets there in fantasy that way, Andy. You know the the thing that comes to mind uh, as you're as you're speaking about him is the is really the draft range, right? You're talking about him going in, in somewhere in rounds like five through seven. The the point I want to make here is that you know that's kind of, that's kind of that RB dead zone, and there's you know I feel like when we talk about the RB dead zone a little bit, we almost focus too much on the number of running backs who fail from that range instead of the receivers that you are passing on in that range, if you target a running back, right? Because um, two years ago, who was the decisive player in fantasy football? It was Cooper Cup. That's where he went, right? Like he was going round four, round five, round six. Same year as uh, Debo Samuel as well. Yep, yep. Same year as, as Debo. The year before, where was Stefan Diggs going when he was one of the decisive receivers in fantasy football, Sixth right? Round. Like we were, yeah. we're, we were running away from him because, oh, he's tied to Josh Allen now. That's icky. That's not going to work, right? Like we have, we have these, and, and that's the kind of thing that's going on with Watson right now, a handful of other receivers in that range. Like it is entirely possible that the overall wide receiver one doesn't come from the first round or the second round, but instead comes from now. Okay. Justin Jefferson is great. And I think he's going to be the wide receiver one, but like we've seen it repeatedly where like the key player in the game is a receiver who comes from that range. Um, so that really that's why like we're, we're going to take Rashad white over, over a receiver that we think can break the game. So I'm, I'm certainly with you at least philosophically. It's reminiscent of Will Fuller. It is big wins and small losses. Like maybe Will <laughs> Fuller's injured, but you still win your weeks whenever he plays. Like in this case, it's not injury for Watson. It's there are probably blips on the radar. Like when he doesn't score touchdowns, does he offer anything else? And in the four games from week 10 on that he did not score a touchdown, he was the wide receiver 57 in points per game. So you're starting like a wide receiver five or six. But again, he won your league when he did do well. So Big wins, little losses. That's what we target in that dead zone range. And that's who Watson is. Andy, your wide receiver. Yeah, my guy. Um, and I, again, I'm trying to stay authentic to the people that I'm actually drafting a lot of. I just drafted him last night. I'm going to go with Jordan Addison. Um, took, took him with Daigle in the room. Um, so we, we've seen it happen. Um, it would be highly unusual if no wide receiver this year gave us like a, a top 15 or top 20 fantasy finish, right? Like it, it generally happens. Um, I think that Addison is the strongest candidate. He is, uh, he's a super easy separator landed in what I, what I would consider a perfect situation opposite Justin Jefferson. Like I don't, I think it's good that Jordan Addison didn't necessarily land in a spot where he was going to be counted on to be the unrivaled number one, um, you know, a tilt the field sort of receiver, because we know he's not, you know, Addison is not six, three and two fifteen with like four, three speed, anything like that. He's not, he's not constructed like a superhero. He's not one of these built in a lab sort of guys. He's just, he's so smooth, good at the game. In my opinion, um, his, that guy's Bolitnikov season at Pitt a couple of years ago, unbelievable. And he made Kenny Pickett so much money. Um, 17 touchdowns, 100 catches, tons of yards, um, tons of highlights. I just think he's now stepping into an offense, number one, that has funneled all of the touches to a very small number of players. Um, Adam Thielen ran like the second most routes in the league last year. And, and we have a real opportunity for Jordan Addison to step right into that. So there's just, there's just a ton of vacated opportunities here. I think he's a very good player. I think the ball is going to come his way. Yes. KJ Osborne is also a thing, but I, you know, Jefferson just makes life so easy. Um, and I think we're looking at a thousand yards and a pretty healthy reception total from Addison at a minimum. I think he finishes a wide receiver too. And we are 
basically a year removed from Paulson from seeing Jordan Addison's ceiling because as Lincoln Riley's one to do, like Addison won the Blitnikoff Award on 70% of his routes from the slot, an elite slot player. And then Lincoln Riley took him and played him on the boundary for 75% of his routes at USC last year because Lincoln Riley only cares about his system. He does not care about you. Just look at Marvin Mims in his final year. And so, like, we do have more to unlock here with Addison as the team's clear wide receiver, too. Yeah, and you can easily transfer uh, 107 targets from Thielen over to Addison. Uh, I think that's a, probably a good estimate to start with. And, you know, we've seen this thing before where the, this, you know, he's right now he's third on the death chart uh, behind KJ Osborne. It brings back memories of Justin Jefferson and uh, BC Johnson. I think it was uh, in, in preseason uh, keeping Justin Jefferson off the field. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I do. I agree with, I think this is a great call. This is, he's my top uh, rookie receiver. I, right now I have him at wide receiver 30. I've been drafting a lot of him lately uh, as some of these receivers have been kind of dropping in this range and he's been sort of ascending. I like him as a you know a late season big producer. Uh, he may you if you can get him as your wide receiver four, and you don't have to start him necessarily week one when he's maybe playing fifty percent of the snaps. Uh, and you know you can sort of lean on him for the last two thirds, three quarters of the season. I think that's an ideal situation. And where he's going in drafts, you can get him as your as your wide receiver four. So I, I definitely love this call. So moving on to tight end, Andy, I want you to go first because. Anyone who's seen any Andy Barron's content all offseason knows exactly the homer pick that's coming. I mean, there's there's one right answer. There's one right answer to this question. It's Sam Laporta. Um, it's obviously Sam Laporta. It's always been Sam Laporta. Um, yeah, I, I talk about him every week. I, I It's rare that I go on a show and I don't talk about Sam Laporta. I, I, just, I just want people to understand... Um, it, like you can look at his collegiate numbers and it doesn't seem that impressive, right? Like 650 yards or so over the last couple of years, you need to understand what 650 receiving yards within the context of that Iowa offense means. Like that's like, that's like 1500 yards in a normal offense. Like this was a terrible passing environment, terrible passing environment. And I don't want to like hammer too much like a, college quarterback, whatever, but the quarterback play was terrible. The play calling was terrible. The design of the offense was abysmal. Um, and after the catch hero, uh, Sam Laporta still managed to find his way to like 650 receiving yards. Um, he's so good. He, he is sort of a, I don't know. I obviously I've been watching Iowa tight ends for the last 30 years or so. He is very much in the, in the tradition of, you know, George Kittle in his final years where you could really kind of see it. Um, obviously Iowa's program spits out NFL ready tight ends year after year after year. Um, the, there's been plenty of camp buzz here, a, a clear connection between Laporta and Jared Goff. The, the other, the other point that I, I like to make on, uh, the situation in Detroit lions tight ends last year actually combined for a dozen touchdown receptions. And it, I, I don't know that people really thought of it as, as a position that was, that was really getting fed because it was like three different guys, right? It was Zilstra and it was, it was Brock Wright and it was Hawkinson for like half a year, but they fed tight ends at the goal line. And we have a real opportunity right now for Laporta to just be like the one mouth that gets fed at that position instead of them distributing the ball to a whole bunch of different people. It sure seems like he's the number one guy on the depth chart entering the year There's a really good chance that he finishes as the number two receiver on that team. Lions tight ends, as you mentioned, collectively led the league in touchdowns once they traded T.J. Hawkinson, the rare win-win deal for both sides. Paulson also reported two and a half yards per route run against man coverage, meaning he's a one-on-one -on -one mismatch nightmare from week one since he's given all the starting reps, at least in camp and preseason games, and also led this entire class in routes from the boundary So among tight ends. So we think that he is going to be used in a variety of ways from that hot Thursday night game against the Chiefs on. Yeah, there's a few things to unpack here with uh, Andy's pick of Laporta. Uh, and I and it's all complimentary, don't worry, Andy. Uh, it's a bit of it's a bit of a homer pick, but it's obvious. Like, I mean, this is tight end university, right? Uh, Laporta, I have him at uh, tight end 14. He's going like tight end 19 and our multi-site ADP. People are still sleeping on him, and I think. It's in large part because we do not generally expect much of anything from rookie tight ends. But this year, we've got at least four. Uh, Laporta, who I have at 14. Kincaid, I have at 16. 
uh, Musgrave at 22 and Michael Mayer at 27, who are going very likely to, to play starter snaps, unless I'm missing something with those four. Uh, Laporta is joining one of the best passing attacks. They have a bad defense, the Lions. Uh, Jared Goff uh, can deliver the ball accurately. We've seen that. We saw that last year. And uh, I just want to mention that George Kittle, when he was asked, I think by Matt Harmon, you know, who are some up and coming tight ends at the position? Uh, Laporta was one of the three that he mentioned. I don't know if that was a homer pick by George Kittle, but you know, <laughs> it's nice to hear George Kittle say, "Oh, this guy's going to be really good." He's already won the uh, the tight end one job. Uh, it makes a lot of sense that uh, Andy picked him, and I I endorse that pick. Paulson, your favorite tight end this year. Yeah, some of the other things to unpack with this Laporta pick is that it's a, it is an Iowa homer pick. So I'm going to pick a Wisconsin homer tight end, the Jake Ferguson, the Jake Ferguson out of uh, the, the Cowboys, uh, going to start for them. Uh, he, you know, is is being slept on because they drafted Luke Schoonmaker, uh, but he kind of missed uh, off uh, season activities and. Uh, minicamp due to an injury he's kind of behind the eight ball so I think he's one of these rookie tight ends that's going to struggle he's not going to be able to uh, start win the starting job over Ferguson and uh, Ferguson's playing extremely well Dak Prescott targeted him 11 times in 2022 which isn't much but he caught all 11 passes for 103 yards and a touchdown 9.36 yards per attempt uh, in the preseason game that he played he caught all three targets for 38 yards you know I think he's could be just as good as Dalton Schultz and Dalton Schultz turned in the tight end four and tight end 10 uh, finishes the last two seasons. Dak Prescott was asked about him. He said, quote, I think he's close to becoming a big time guy. As far as a playmaker, he's already there. I just think, you know, if you're towards the end of your draft or if you just punt the position and you want to grab a Laporta or a Ferguson late or grab both and see who ends up, you know, do a, do an Andy versus John, uh, competition on your bench <laughs> and see which one emerges as the starter, a uh, fantasy starter for you faster. Uh, love it. He, amongst the tight ends with 20 plus targets, he posted the ninth highest yards per route run, 1.79. That's an indicator of future success. I love grabbing him as my tight end two late in drafts, tight end premium, especially. If I'm at all worried about my tight end position, I'm going to grab him. I don't mind taking a second tight end if it's Ferguson or even Laporta in the situation. The way I usually handle one tight end leagues is drafting one. Even if it's a last round guy, I'm only taking one. I'm not using that roster space for darts on wide receivers and running backs where we have to start multiple of them on a backup onesie position at all. And Andy, I'm curious then in terms of Jake Ferguson and Sam Laporta, is that a situation where you were comfortable with taking the one in the very last few rounds and then just starting them week one? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I've, I've got, I've got Laporta locked into starting lineups all over the place. I think he's going to be a relevant you hope so, player at immediately. Least, yeah. I, I also like to, I, I like the, I like the two guys that we've mentioned so far, because I, I think a reasonable approach at tight end is um, Kelsey or wait, right? Like I, I don't always do this exactly. Like sometimes a guy falls and I just you know, I end up with a Kittle on my roster. I'm, I'm, I'm partial to George Kittle. Um, but I, I like the positional edge here is with Travis Kelsey, right? Like he's the guy who beat out the the overall tight end two last year by like 90 fantasy points. You know, he's the guy who doubled up almost every tight end last year. So like if I don't get him, I'm generally looking for Sam Laporta and I kind of tilt a little bit if somebody else takes Laporta. But then I'm also looking at guys like Kincaid, like Ferguson. Um, and I think it's fine to to just skip over like the middle two, three, four tiers at this spot and target some of these guys who who go super late, if at all. Because um, the other thing that we know about the tight end position is like if you just score like six touchdowns and have 600 yards, you're probably going to be like the tight end six overall. You know, like it doesn't take much to to find yourself on the leaderboard there. And so far, we've talked about two guys who can just clearly do that. Since y'all talked about the late round options, I'll give a different strategy. And you mentioned the positional edge Kelsey gives. And I keep wondering, does Kelsey still have that positional edge since he was only the ninth tight end in the last, oh, since 2008 to average over 15 points per game? It's just something that doesn't happen. And so what if he's just normal? What if he's just Travis Kelsey and he's not elite again? We bring him back a little bit. And then we start asking who in the next tier of players can top him. I think it's Mark Andrews. 
But what if you can't get Mark Andrews since he's now a second or third round turn player? I then skip TJ Hawkinson, George Kittle, and Kyle Pitts, and I go straight to Darren Waller because I think we have one more peak year and it's age 30 season with Waller. From 2019 to 2021, Darren Waller averaged a 25% target share. That wasn't his issue whatsoever. And then whether it was Devontae Adams joining the team or Josh McDaniels inexplicably only making Waller run go routes from the slot and having him lead all tight ends with a 14 and a half yard depth of target, only getting targets downfield. One of those things happened, which obviously sunk Waller to a 16% and meaningless target share last year. But now he's with the Giants and all reports at a camp all preseason games, and that he is very clearly being used across the formation, and he is Daniel Jones' favorite target. And so being that age, age 30, I really only think it's the, the injury lapse, the 30 career, the 15 missed games the past two years that are holding people up. But honestly, I don't think it's a hot take to say Darren Waller outscores T.G. Hawkinson this year, except he's not being drafted as such. So my favorite player in that, fifth to seventh round range is Darren Waller still Andy. Yeah, I feel like, um, and it, it is appropriate and it's smart. I, I feel like one of the themes of like your guys is, is you're, you're targeting the last guy in a tier. Right. And I, I, I think we can make a really strong case that Waller, at least in terms of ADP is like the last guy in that second tier. I actually think, um, and credit to Mark Andrews, like Mark Andrews is the one tight end who over the last seven years has actually finished ahead of Kelsey in any season, right? Like Kelsey has dominated this position over a long period of time. Mark Andrews is the one guy who's actually finished ahead of him, but there's a, there's a gap between and like, we almost treat Mark Andrews as if he's a tier of his own, um, after Kelsey and before the other guys. And I don't, I don't think it should be like that. Like, I, I think he's right. I think he's kind of, I think he's in that same club with Waller, um, Hawkinson and, and the rest of them and, and Waller being the, the cheapest by far because people, you know, again, fantasy managers have recency bias and they feel burned by a guy in a, in a prior year due to injury, something like that. It's, I mean, all Darren Waller has to do is play 14 games and he is absolutely going to be a top three fantasy tight end. That much is pretty clear. He is, he is among the biggest stories in almost any team's camp. Thoughts on Waller Paulson. I, I like the call. He's like one of the few tight ends that actually has a legit shot and maybe is probably going to be the highest targeted player on his team. And the, those are the types of guys that we like to add. I like having a weapon at tight end. Um, so just the Kelsey or bust plan uh, is a little scary to me. I don't have the same confidence in Jake Ferguson as Andy obviously does in Sam Laporta. <laughs> and that, you know, that's admirable. I wish I did have that sort of confidence, but I, there's a couple other guys I wanted to mention here and I've, I've been drafting them a little bit lately. Dallas Goddard, uh, you know, somebody, somebody posted the stat, the split where he was the tight end three through the first 10 weeks prior to his injury. Uh, even though he's only working with, I think, 5.6, 5.7 targets per game. He's so highly efficient, and that passing attack is really highly efficient. So I think he's worth looking at if Waller is being bumped up. If Pitts is going ahead of him, maybe you're getting him at tight end seven. I think that's worth a look. And then Pat Fryermuth, uh, Connor Allen got me onto him, uh, averaging 61 yards per game with Kenny Pickett in the nine games that uh, he played 50% with, with Pickett at quarterback. You know, he's playing at a thousand yard pace and is likely going to see some uh, tight end regression uh, as well in a positive manner. So he's one that I think could sit, could finish in the top five as well. And he's currently going tight end nine off the board in the eighth round of, of 12 team leagues. It's impossible not to find you, Andy. Literally when people open up their Yahoo drafts to draft with their <laughs> friends, your face is the first thing that comes up yelling at them. But just in case they're living under a rock, Tell everyone where to find the great Andy Barons. Uh, you can, I mean, obviously you can find me at, at Yahoo Fantasy. You can find me on Twitter or the site formerly known as Twitter at, I'm just at Andy Barons. Everywhere I go, I'm just at Andy Barons. I need a, I need a, a more fun moniker. I need some underscore or something, but it's just at Andy Barons. Um, I'm, I'll almost never tweet serious analysis, right? I'm just on, I'm just on Twitter for the jokes, but um but please uh, follow me there and yeah, uh, check out, check us out at Yahoo Fantasy. Paulson, what else do you have for everyone in the final stretch coming up this weekend on the site? Well, I think I need to write an article about the late breaking news, how to deal with some of these late uh, situations because ADP is not adjusting quickly enough to, to some of the stuff. So I'm going to be writing an article about that this week and obviously updating uh, rankings uh, throughout 
the next week uh, until week one kicks off. And of course, how to attack default rankings at Yahoo and other sites, all updated ahead of your draft weekend. We will be back with one more bonus episode to get you ready with our rankings changes and final draft thoughts Thursday. Subscribe to the feed, the most accurate podcast. But until then, remember, be a little bit kinder than what's required. We'll see you next time.